Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. My name is Ryan Moore, one of the pastors on staff here. And it's an honor to be able to uh, bring God's Word to you this morning. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of John. We'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 9 to 13. We've been through Advent looking at Matthew's Gospel. And just want to move over to John and see what light he shines on the topic of the Incarnation as we celebrate Jesus' birth. So with that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found verse 9 of the first chapter of John. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let us pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning, um, not just because it's Christmas, but because it's another day to come and worship you. And so as we gather here, as we look at, uh, at, at John, we pray that you would speak where you have spoken through him, uh, that we would hear uh, things that we couldn't hear otherwise. So open our ears and, and our eyes so that we may see and hear things uh, that would allow us to leave here changed people. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Well, many of us, I'm sure, have heard growing up that it is, uh, and, and especially around the holidays, uh, it, it is better to give than to receive. I'm, I'm sure that some of y'all have heard this at some point in time in your life. I'm sure you're trying to train up little ones to believe that this is true and to uh, allow their lives to exemplify this. Well, it is true. To, to, it is better to give than to receive. But we all know that that comes with a cost, Right? I mean, let's just pan the pews here for a little bit. I see the wear and the tear of people up late at night rapping, right? I see tape still stuck in people's hair. Um, I see possible scissor wounds uh, by trying to get things done quickly. All this comes with a cost. Perhaps maybe one sermon for Christmas would just be, so how well did you give this Christmas? What did you really do? But I don't want to ask that this morning. Um, I know that you have given well. Some of you are prolific givers, and this year was no exception. Um, you were able to finish your giving uh, for immediate family and extended family before Black Friday, before Cyber Monday, right? You got all the teachers' gifts wrapped, wrapped but not just the teachers' gifts, the assistance to the teachers and the assistance to the other assistants. They got their gifts. Um, you even managed to increase your inventories this year and lower your costs by 30% thanks to Amazon Prime. You killed it, and half of us in here are broke to prove it. Um, but we have, we have great givers in this, in this place. We have great givers. But this morning is not about giving. This morning is about receiving. It's about receiving. How have you received this year? And are you good at that? Can you receive, especially if that means never being able to give something in return that could possibly come close to matching what it was that you were given in the first place? Are you good at that? Can you do that? Or does it make you feel uncomfortable? 
Right? Is a nightmare you have somebody just showing up with a present and you have no idea what this is for, I don't have anything in return. Can you receive? Can you take that in? Because the prologue in John's gospel comes to us as an announcement that something is coming into this world for all to receive. That is going to change the world forever. This gift is the gift of grace and mercy. And it comes to us in the form of a baby this very day. No one can ever repay it. And it cannot be earned. But like any true gift, this one can only be received. And so the question I want us to consider this morning is a simple one. What are you receiving this Christmas? You've given a lot, right? But what are you receiving? What are you opening yourself up to? And we've got to run short on time. So I'm only giving you two things to consider from John's prologue this morning about this gift that is coming into the world. The first thing John tells us about this gift is that it's true. It's true. John reminds us first that something has come into the world. It's not just a light, but it's the true light. And the implication is that there have been other lights that have come into this world. Other people professing to be lights, to be God. But John is saying this is the true light. And where else does John use this word true throughout his gospel? When he talks about the true vine. When he talks about the true bread of life. When he talks about the true God. But in verse 9 we hear that the true light has come into the world. But what does that mean to say that it is true? Eugene Peterson's The Message translates it this way. The life light was the real thing. The life light. Which suggests that because it is true, it has the ability to give life to those who receive it. That's what it means for something to be true here. It's a giver of life. It is not counterfeit. It is not a lie. But a giver. This is what Christians believe about the coming of Jesus into this world. That in a way, God is creating again something new, new life as it were, in the hearts of those who would receive him. Who receive this true light. And this is the first thing we are receiving, according to John, something true, something that is life-giving. The second thing that John tells us about this gift is that it is necessary. This gift is necessary, meaning that we need it. What does John say about this true light coming into the world? Again, from Eugene Peterson's The Message, he, referring to the light, referring to Jesus, was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet... The world didn't even notice. And why didn't the world notice? Well, at this point, any second grader who has been catechized can raise their hand and answer that question. Sin. Right? Isn't that the right answer? It is the right answer. But I'm going to be honest. That might work for a second grader, but that's a little too complicated for me. It's a little too complicated for me. What does that mean, second grader? <laughs> oh, I think John is telling us here in the prologue. As sin entered the world, the world stopped looking outside of itself for meaning and for life. 
It stopped looking outside of itself to receive life and instead started looking into itself, inward for life, inward for meaning. See, before the fall, Adam and Eve, they did what? They enjoyed and experienced perfect communion with God. God was who they looked to for everything. They did not have the urge to find their identity in other things like their work, like their looks, like their personality. They looked to God himself for those questions, for their identity. All of who they were was derived from the presence of God in their midst, and they looked nowhere else for it. But after the fall, they, we, cannot stop looking. We cannot stop looking for someone to say to us, good job, you're great, that was awesome. We cannot stop looking for someone to tell us who it is that we are. And so the tragedy of the fall is that we stop looking outside of ourselves to answer those questions for life. We became trapped. We became enslaved. Even only looking within where there is no life light because of sin. See, our eyes are focused inward. And this is exactly why John says, Nobody noticed him. In this way, we have stopped receiving life. Which is interesting because while our rational, logical brains can think that we don't need to receive anymore, that, that, that receiving isn't necessary... Our bodies only exist because they receive. I mean, our bodies only exist because something outside has to come in and make it go. Like oxygen and food to come in and to give us life. Therefore, after the fall, we see receiving as unnecessary. With only eyes for ourselves, who could begin to notice this true light coming into the world? I get it, John. I love what Tim Keller says here in this interview with the Gospel Coalition titled, Tim Keller Wants You to Stop Underestimating Christmas. Okay, I won't do that. Um, Keller has asked, you say that neither the God of moralism nor the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. Why not? Which Keller responds, Moralism is essentially the idea that you can save yourself through your good works. And this makes Christmas unnecessary. Why would God need to become human in order to live and to die in our place if we can fulfill the requirements of righteousness ourselves? Relativism is essentially the idea that no one is really lost. That everyone should live by their own lights and determine right and wrong for themselves. The all-accepting God of love that many modern people believe in would never have bothered with the incarnation. Such a God would have found it completely unnecessary. See, this is why the true light, according to John's gospel, has gone unnoticed. According to Keller, we are all still suffering the effects of the fall by looking to ourselves for life. And as a result, we only have eyes for us. Not only do we not notice this light coming into the world, we find it completely unnecessary if it existed in the first place. And John is saying this is why the world has not received him. They can't see their need for him, and it is tragic. And our only hope is that something or someone would break in from the outside and rescue us. 
And Christmas, friends, is that rescue. There's so much more to it, but this is the breaking in behind enemy lines, so to speak, to make people not my people, to make them my people, to make them the children of the living God, as Paul would quote Hosea in chapter 9. And he has done this in order to dwell with us and for us to dwell with him. Therefore, Christians celebrate, celebrate Christmas, the coming of Christ, because it is necessary if we are to be rescued from ourselves, if we are to have life. So we desperately need a Savior who is not within to come from outside of us in order to dwell in us so that we might have true life. What the Incarnation says to us this morning is that regardless if you've been naughty or nice, God is coming to give himself to you for you. Do you see Jesus then becoming human as necessary? Then John says he's yours. He's yours. But you have to receive. You have to receive what's true and necessary. So as it turns out, while it is better to give than receive... The Christmas story says one cannot truly give himself or herself until he or she has received new life. Until you see Jesus coming into this world for you as necessary. Until you enter into the truth of the story itself where Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so made himself a servant, a human being. Can you receive this story? And make it yours. Well, this might promote another, prompt another question. Well, how do I do that, Ryan? It sounds great. It sounds a lot like Christmas, but how, how do I do this? Do this, excuse me. Well, John tells us in verse 12, you have to believe. You have to believe. And it seems like it should be more complicated than that, doesn't it? It seems like there should be lists and things that we have to do in order to receive this good gift. But John says, no, you just have to believe. And see, this is where many of us on Christmas exit stage left, don't we? This is where John's prologue becomes fairy tale to us. What started out as rational and logical, what's true and what's necessary, has turned fanatical. What do you mean believe? Are you asking me to be ten again? Well, what John invites us to, and I'll leave us here this morning, is to come back to the gift closet on Christmas. <clears throat> to come back to that closet where a curiosity and a trust existed towards the good gift giver himself, God the Father. What is the gift closet? Everybody knows what the gift closet is. <clears throat> a friend of mine tells a familiar story about growing up and looking for his Christmas presents around the house from mom and dad. Now, as I kind of pan the crowd, I can see there's some guilty souls out there right now um, who did a little bit of exploring themselves, um, <clears throat> but we won't, we won't make eye contact. But my friend goes on to say this. He says, as a kid growing up, I became an expert at finding Christmas presents around the house before Christmas. I knew where all my parents' hiding places were, especially all the closets that had the best stuff that couldn't be hid on a shelf or under a bed. And I loved to peek into those closets. I loved to see what lay in store for me on Christmas morning. I had to look. I couldn't wait. 
Now, would this ruin Christmas? Oh, of course. And it did. But I just had to look. I just had to look. Well, might I suggest this morning that John's gospel comes to us in a very similar way. That the opening chapter is none other than the gift of all gift closets. That it is God himself saying, come and look and see what it is that I have in store for those who believe. For those who would receive, it is my son, Jesus, the true light, the life light, coming into the world to save his creation by making them family. Now, do I have to be 10 to believe this? No, but it helps. See, we learn something from children on Christmas, and I've had to recount this myself over the past weeks. And that is the imagination and the curiosity that the kingdom of God requires for all of us. And it's because of a child's imagination, excuse me, that sparks a curiosity on Christmas that opens themselves up to the joy of receiving in the first place. What is going to be under the tree this year? Do you remember that? Believing is a process and it starts with trusting that the gift giver is good and what he has in store for those that he loves. And would you imagine at this point in the story of the Bible that the love that he has for you this very morning actually involves a cross. That's how good he is to all of us. For some of us, what makes the incarnation so difficult and Christmas so confusing and meh is we have forgotten what it was like to be curious. We have forgotten what it was like to have an imagination that opens yourself up to the joy of everything the Father has in store for you. And what does, what does he have in store for you this day? A baby boy wrapped in a manger named Jesus who has come to take away the sins of the world. In other words, as John says, he's coming to make you part of his family, but you have to receive it. You have to receive it. And so my question, what are you receiving this Christmas? Why is that so hard for you? Why is giving sometimes so much easier? Are you curious enough to believe this story? Because the gift giver that we see as we open up John's gospel is like none other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus who you have given to us, who has come into this world, and, and not, not only to rescue us, but we, we, we thank you for it because it tells us something about who you are, about your goodness to, towards us, towards those whom you love, and the invitation to be a part of your family for those who to receive, who would believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. Would you spark our curiosity and our imaginations to enter the story, to believe maybe for the first time, or to even believe Uh, for the thousandth time that we would know that God is good and we would know that that this day uh, marks the beginning of the great rescue that he has for his people. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.